So as part of our continuing uh, coverage in the lead-up to the Queensland election, we're looking back at some of the experiences of the last couple of years of opposition and resistance such as it, is, as it was or such as it is to the first term of the Newman LNP government. And to help us with that today, we're talking to Rob, who was a participant in Queensland Uncut. Rob, how are you going? Good, thanks. How are you? Uh, not too bad. So, look, Rob, part of the premise of uh, the shows we've had so far is that we're expecting the LNP will win the election and that after the election they're going to carry out their stronger choices policy, which is based largely on the privatisation of social services. But even if for some strange chance that the ALP wins the election, then I think we still need to be talking about how to have effective social movements to advance our own needs and desires in the present, but also as part of the struggle to overcome capitalism and to build a better society. You were involved quite heavily in Queensland Uncut. Would you be able to tell us uh, how Queensland Uncut emerged? I'm sure. Well, I just decided to start also by saying that there was probably two other main people who aren't here who were quite involved, um, Emma and Scarlett. Um, if I say something wrong or bad, be free, feel free to uh, comment. And so you're solely responsible for the errors. <laughs> yes. Um, so there's that. But also, so just to, I was just going to go over quickly um, how it was formed. Um, so basically a few of us got together um, and contacted a wide, a wide range of uh, mostly community sector organisations, NGOs, housing um, providers, that kind of stuff. Um, neighbourhood centres and, and things like that in response to the cuts, the, the huge cuts to the community sector. Um, that came at the start of, uh, of uh, mid-2012 um, when Newman, just after Newman was elected um, and in response to the initial uh, mini-budget um, and commission of audit. So it was kind of you know around the same time as the large campaign, the campaign waged by the Together Union mostly against the public sector job cuts um, so it sort of ran in tandem to that. But because, obviously, we were a small group, um, there was no real way we could, I guess, influence the... Um, realistically influence the, the public server, public sector job cuts campaign. So we kind of de facto became um, almost a voice for the NGO sector. It's for them to put their case against the cuts. Um, so initial meetings that we had, you know, were quite large, up to 200 people, um, mostly just um, explaining the horror of what was going on and what it actually meant for quite threadbare community organisations to lose their funding. So, so these were third-party kind of NGO community yeah, providers? people who have, like, service agreements with the government. So in many cases it was, you know, the funding might only cover a couple of, of full-time workers, but a lot of their stuff is organising volunteers um, or putting people in housing and that, and that, and that kind of thing, so, um, or crisis accommodation, you know, quite frontline um, things. And, you know, when you from, from being involved in volunteer stuff for a long time, having one person to organise the volunteer stuff, for example, is quite crucial mm -hmm. to, that fun, to, to that service functioning. So um, the cuts were, in the, in the general scheme, not huge monetary-wise, uh, but I think their impact on those organisations was quite large. Um, so things like uh, the Tenants Advisory Service, mm -hmm. Advocacy Serve, TAS, um, Sisters Inside, um, the Working Women's uh, Service thing that was cut as well, um, a whole bunch of youth kind of uh, homeless, homelessness kind of crisis, crisis organisations and those kind of things. So um, a lot of those things were were quite uh, badly affected by the cuts, or to the point where they, a lot of some of them actually closed down. Mm -hmm. um, 
And also, like, so Brisbane has a network of neighbourhood centres where various NGOs have, might have one person in a neighbourhood centre, so places like uh, Nathan on the, on the south side or Sandgate or places like that. Um, and it's kind of like for that area a hub of, of community services. Um, and a lot of those were quite, hit quite hard where they might have lost their one person in that region who provided particular service. Um, so, I mean, it, it was quite shocking, I think, for a lot of these people that, who worked in the sector, um, particularly for the smaller NGOs, um, to be cut in this way. Um, so the response was... There was quite a sort of knee-jerk response to try and do something about it. Um, so out of the meetings that we had, we had a rally with a variety of speakers um, that probably got over a 1,000 people. And I guess outside the union mobilisations was probably the largest anti-cuts rally that they kind of, you know... Um, left of of main of parliamentary politics mm-hmm. sector are kind of organised, um, and it was quite a. I guess it wasn't resigned to the fact it wasn't like a resignation sense that you got from the union rallies. It was fairly sort of seemed a lot more militant and um, angry and those kind of things. And at that point, I think it seemed that there was a potential of something to come out of what we were doing. Um, you know, and I think just to give people a. Um, an idea of the impact that we did have initially, like the Queensland Council of Unions did have a meeting with us to try and incorporate us into their community campaign and I think once it became clear that we probably weren't going to do exactly what they told us to do, um, that kind of dried up. Not necessarily that we wanted to do that anyway, but I think that was, you know, kind of put into context as to the, that we did have some impact on what people were thinking about how to fight the cuts and that, even even within the institutionalised left, I guess, as well. And when you started, did you have a strategy of what you wanted to achieve or...? Not really. So it was very ad hoc. Um, you know, I think in that sense it was much like the rest of the quote-unquote left's response to a lot of these things, um, that something bad happens, you respond to it, um, and then often... You know, I guess we'll talk about this later. There's probably not enough discussion about how, what can we actually do, mm-hmm. um, and to step back and have a discussion about that, which I guess we're trying to do now. But it's three years after the fact, which is potentially a bit too late. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I think that you know there was no. I guess that the 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 core of the strategy was became the de facto that we became the campaign for the community sector because they didn't really have a sort of peak organisation um, mm-hmm. where they could go to the government with um, that set something that represented the community sector because QCOS should really do that, mm-hmm. the Queensland Council of um, Social Services, like there's one in each state and all that sort of stuff, um, but they didn't because they're weak. So yeah. Was there another so, formation that was started as well that was going to pull together under one roof? Or? Oh, yeah, that's sort of the coalition of community boards. So mm-hmm. the community boards are the boards that run the neighbourhood centres. Okay. Um, in the sense that, yeah, th- there was an attempt to do that. That had been happening before the cuts as well. Yeah. Um, there was just an attempt to bring everyone together in a general sense, I think. But because they were kind of involved in the sector and then a lot of pressure came on these organisations to not politically criticise the government as to threaten their any funding that was left, yeah. I think it really put them in a tough position. You is, know, there, so. is there a kind of contradiction um, with these community organisations between the interests of the people who effectively manage these organisations and the workers in them who are dependent on the funding for their jobs but are often kind of, in a way exploited through their care by these badly funded organisations and did that play out as a tension? Um, we probably didn't get that far into the campaign to have that play out, but there was definitely, like, 
I guess there would have been pressure put on some people who worked in the sector to mm. not be involved in the campaign. You certainly heard that anecdotally. Yes, to not threaten the organisation's funding. Um, but I think there's more... What came out more was the clear differentiation between the really large community organisations and the quite small local ones. Mm-hmm. Um, the large ones, I think, very much felt like this was an opportunity mm-hmm. rather than a rather than a, something bad. Yeah. Um, because that... The, their, they, they could position that they weren't going to fail yeah. um, and they could probably position themselves in the medium term to pick up funding as it came back much mm-hmm. in a much better position to do that than these small organisations which potentially have that yeah. now um, and I guess there's kind of like a there's a difference between you know you sort of things like TAS and stuff like that and I guess projects like micro projects. Mm-hmm. Communify, which is a national organisation which does community housing and that kind mm-hmm. of stuff, um, where you know there is much more, much more comfortable um, arrangement potentially with the government, and in yeah. some ways I think these days almost replicate the kind of things that the kind of bureaucratic stuff that that the, that the government is trying yeah. to outsource to, right? So mm-hmm. instead of becoming an empowering local organisation, they simply become a layer of bureaucracy mm-hmm. in between. The service and the government, yeah. which which kind of the department was anyway, mm-hmm. that has been outsourced. So it's kind of like, um, yeah, I think it's very much like a replication of of what is being critiqued by these kind of pro market forces. But this there, there has been a monopolisation. There's and it's continuing now with the federal cuts. I think this kind of monopolisation of funding mm. increasingly into like larger and larger organisations. Um, which are much more willing, I think, to accommodate themselves to the government's political agenda. Mm-hmm. And, ha- and don't see themselves as engaged in a kind of a political project but to service provision. No, and I think they probably will pay, pay some sort of lip service to some sort of emancipatory, you know, community kind of driven stuff. But the reality, I think, for a lot of those mm-hmm. really large organisations is that the funding is what matters and it's funding or nothing. You know, it's funding or bust, and that's the that's the that's the kind of way it's been become. I think. For so, those so how did uh, Queensland Uncut function? Um, well, we just had a open meetings essentially, yep. um, which in some sense, you know, worked really well at the start because um, it had it meant everyone who was being affected by the cuts could have an equal say. A lot of the organisations that you know were quite small potentially and did, couldn't have much of a say. It was the first time they'd really been able to talk about what they did yeah. um, in an open forum like that in front of a lot of people. Um, so in that sense, it was quite good. Um, potentially, we, uh, because the organisation broke down on some level, um, we probably should have changed that, I think. Um, but that was kind of... It was, it was kind of a... I mean, maybe we should start talking about that now. In well, the sense well, of, before that, maybe just recap what you thought the high points... What worked out of Queensland Uncut? I think their response worked really well. Um, the fact that there was an open forum for these people to come into that wasn't, you know, like a particular brand of politics mm-hmm. or anything like that. It was quite open. Um, and, you know, like the sort of... I guess the, the one thing that the left probably does quite well in one sense is like providing a platform, at least in the initial stages, for people who aren't used... For people who... But uh, first coming into like campaigning and stuff, mm-hmm. um, so that worked quite well. And the, and the first rally was quite well received. And 
um, you know, for a lot of those organisations. It's pretty big for a Queensland rally in the last 10 years. Yeah, and I think for a lot of those organisations, it was probably the first thing like that they'd been involved in mm-hmm. as an organisation. As individuals, I think they probably had a lot of these people are like who work for the community service would consider themselves sort of lefty types, I yeah. guess. But in an organisational capacity, yeah, it was mm-hmm. sort of the first time they've really done something like that. And I think that worked really well. Um, but for a variety of reasons, which I guess we'll get into now, that's kind of broke down, I think. Okay, so do you want to tell us what happened? Um, well, I mean, I guess the overarching thing that that really affected us was the lack of a campaign from the institutional left. Um, so that's mainly from the union movement, which had their huge rally and then um, which ended with the song We'll Be Voting Out Campbell Newman Three Years, which really kind of you know, put a break on everything, I think. Um, and, you know, our ability, a small group of people trying to organise this campaign um, was going to be hard anyway, mm. let alone with the institutions of the left refusing to campaign, essentially, around mm. this issue. Everything's been geared towards this election towards happening election. in a week, right? Yeah, so... so um, yeah, and that's the unions and also these new organisations they've started, like Not For Sale, Stand For Queensland... I don't make any distinction. So I really, like, there's no distinction for me between a Together campaign or the Stanford Queensland stuff. For me, it's all of the same vein. Mm-hmm. Um, that, I mean, I went to, I mean, this is an aside, but I, you know, I went to Stanford Queensland meetings, um, put my name down for stuff, gave them a chance. Yeah. And the only thing I got rung about was, you know, Labor Party campaign launches. Yep. Um, so... The door knocking at the moment. You know, everyone's getting flooded, you know, this... Yeah. Oh, I mean, I made it clear that I wasn't going to do that yeah. um, after they rang me about Labor Party campaign launches. And I was just like, well, I mean, I don't support the Labor Party. Yeah. I want to do something. Yeah. What can you... Can, what can I do? Yeah. Oh, actually... You know, and, and, and then just, just calls saying, like, oh, we've got a few spare tickets to this campaign mm. launch as if it was going to be, like, a bumper sellout or something. <laughs> like, just a joke, right? Um Anyway. Out of shape, performing for one night only. Oh, it's just like, yeah, yeah I'm sure she's like sold out the, the yeah. local community or not. Like, yeah. it's just, yeah. So, I mean, as far as trying to actually build a real thorough campaign in, yeah. in the community, like, it's just, it's not going to work. And we've, like, it's kind of interesting in lead up to the election, we've seen this use of these huge lists of people's names, but only for the purpose of electioneering. You know, yeah. I'm getting three or four emails a day mm. to try to encourage me to door knocking. You know, and the social media capacity that wasn't used before. Anyway, yeah, well, I mean, the well, I mean, it started at that big, at the big rally, yeah, because you know, like there was huge amounts of people going around clipboards for that stand for Queensland yep. thing. So yeah, they potentially would have got five thousand names at that rally, yeah, with phone phone numbers and, and emails and everything. So, I mean, it's just a huge wasted opportunity, right? Um, so it's just, I mean, but I mean, not that I expect much else, yeah, from the last vestiges of a dying political project. But, I mean, yeah, just you think someone mm. <laughs> would try and do something to rectify that situation. And certainly from, like, the, the Queensland Council of Unions together, and I don't know how much the Labor Party's involved in it, there's just been a cycle of worse, worse rallies yeah. dwindling for the last couple of years mm. since those big rallies in 2012. Yeah. Um, well, I guess we'll just go on to um, the, I guess how the, camp- the campaign developed and finally yep. kind of wound up, I suppose, in so many ways. Um, partly, we sort of talked a lot about, as the rallies kind of died off, um, we did talk a lot about trying to find a kind of physical embodiment of the cuts, kind of t- pare back the 
the the model, not necessarily against the whole government, but trying to say, okay, where where's somewhere where it, it's really hit hard, just yeah. kind of a physical embodiment of going on, and let's try and put all our meager resources into that to try and make that like a like save that that one service, yeah, like the Richmond Secondary School campaign yeah, against or, Kennett in the early nineties, yeah, um, and just try and you know use that as as a catalyst, I guess, yeah. in some ways, um, to say that it is possible to actually fight this stuff, uh, and there were like. So there's a series of, of caravan parks around Queensland um, that are owned by the government that essentially essentially there and, and they're not I don't think they're ever purposed this way but they essentially provide low cost housing for mm. a whole bunch of you know uh, not retirees who don't have huge massive super yeah. uh, and that kind of thing and there was one in Brisbane um, called the Monte Carlo Caravan Park out at Cannon Hill which was tagged to be sold um, under the Commission of Audit so I mean we did a bit of work with them um, for like great news for them that the government didn't sell it. Yeah. Um, partly because their own great little campaign that they are running and stuff. Um, um, with, the, with, like, locally and that kind of thing. And, you know, you know the, the caravan park, like, I went out there a few times and it was really, uh, you know, quite unique in the sense that it was a bit of a community hub. Like, yeah. there was all this kind of stuff with local schools that they were doing around rehabilitating the, the creek there mm. and getting rid of all the weeds and bring it back to, like, a natural how mm. it was before. Fantastic. That kind of stuff. And... So I think that went a long way to them, to, to the, the campaign succeeding because they were kind of quite engaged with the community and that kind of yeah. thing. Um, but yeah, like we did try of try and I guess move away from dwindling centralised rallies aimed at the government um, and a more kind of localised response. But I mean, it just became hard because a lot of the organisations perhaps got some funding or some of them got funding from the federal government. Um, like Taz and yeah. uh, the Working Women's Service, um, so it was kind of like, um, and and obviously, and future funding was tied to non-advocacy as well. I mean, that was a crucial thing as well. So, the government made it very clear that any advocacy against policy advocacy, mm. um, like that was going on, like like the kind of stuff engaged by Sisters Inside, and to their credit, they never f- took a backward step with that and took a huge hit to their funding. Yeah. Um, but they were probably one of the only ones that really didn't back down on that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, so, like, it kind of died off there for, for those reasons. But also I think there were some quite large arguments within the organising meetings, I guess, which by the stage dwindled to being, like, you know, maybe 10 people or 15 yeah. people. The kind of meetings we're all used to, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah. The, Can you detail those the division that was... Yeah, well, the main division was over over the now, you know, I guess the, the infamous arguments that any campaign engages in now, particularly where groups like Social Alternative are involved, but the, the rally strategy, you know, mm-hmm. right? So what do you, when you say the rally strategy, what do you mean by that? So you have a big rally, and then the argument is that, okay, we just need to keep having rallies. Um, and I think it comes from this idea that a movement is, just, is, is ever-growing rallies. Mm-hmm which is completely wrong. Um, like any cursory glance at social movements of the last 100 years will show you that that's completely wrong. Um, and well, successful ones anyway. Um, and I think that, yeah, so that's that was kind of like, so we had to have kind of rehearsed arguments week after week about why we shouldn't have another rally. Because, you know, we went from 1,000 to about 200. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty clear the next one was going to be even smaller. Yeah. Um, so, so it's a demoralising experience then? Yeah, and I just, well, just, uh, apart from that, it just doesn't work, right? Yeah. Like, it's not going to work. The government's not going to be afraid of 100 people in the city. 
Yeah. You know, they're just not. Um, not that they're going to be afraid of, afraid of a thousand, but at least a thousand gives you something to build off um, to do other things potentially. But yeah. um, they're just not going to be... And, and people know that. Like, people are stupid. Yeah. They know that, that this isn't um, going to work. And when, when no other strategy is floated, yeah. that is it. It's not like this is part of another thing that we're doing. Um, we're talking about people who are still within the generation of the anti-war movement, right? Who've yeah. seen the largest rallies that, yeah. that have ever happened yeah. and didn't stop the war. Yeah. More complicated discussion needs to be happened there. <laughs> but that, like, there's, there's a sense that people understand that you know, rallies are not an effective mode of carrying out politics. I think they are effective if they're built in a certain way and if they're part of an, a strategy where it's building the infrastructure of an actual movement mm-hmm. that's also separate from rallies. Um, but if they're not doing that, then there is no real point, I don't think. I mean, I'm kind of really sick of the whole, oh, it's just good that we came out. Yes. Some, sometimes it's not actually good that we came out. Sometimes it's actually more useful to do, spend time with those resources that we have doing other things that actually build the infrastructure of a movement to yeah. have a bigger rally down the track, right? Um, and I think that's that's something that's never discussed. So something that we tried, that wipe, so I particularly tried to get up was forming, you know, like lo- local... Because a lot of the community ser- sector services um, in various suburbs and stuff like that, um, there's kind of like hubs. There's usually like a few around a small area. Yep. So like Winnem, there was probably about four or five different community services within maybe like a kilometre radius mm-hmm. of kind of like the centre of Winnem. Yep. Um, same at Sand, at Sandgate uh, and places like that. So I tried to push a strategy to say, you know, maybe we should actually map, try and get the, the details of these organisations, put them on a map and say, okay, let's have a little local thing at Sandgate, let's have one at Winnem, let's have one wherever to try and actually build some local connections um, but amongst these groups, but also if something like because all the hospital stuff was happening out at Wyndham as well, mm-hmm. which is effectively and quite quite um, efficiently subsumed into the local labour election campaign, um, you know, potential there was some potential there to do to do stuff, mm-hmm. um, a potential loss, right? Because there's a few of us and no one really cared to do that kind of stuff. Well, why do you think there was such hostility in the group to? This new strategy. Why? Yeah. Because I think the p- people pushing the rally strategy want to build themselves and not an actual movement. Um, that's, I mean, that's what I, I the, honestly think. Like, yeah. yeah it's, a very that's, cynical, that's like... it's a very cynical way of doing politics um, that effectively goes against, I think, the, the potential to build an actual left. Yeah. So we're talking about, like, specifically an organisation like Social Alternative. Yeah. Uses rallies to sell publications and to recruit, pre- recruit, recruit people. So often by being the largest organisation in a small campaign group, will run a campaign into the ground through arguing for endless d- dwindling rallies. Yeah. And this isn't the first time this happened. No, this is, this is repeated right across yeah. the board, isn't it? Yeah. So, I mean, and I, mean I, and I think it's not just them. Like, I think it's a, a strategy of the left which has failed, right? Yeah. You know, like, this does, it doesn't work. So let's, let's take a step back and say, well, how can we actually build something real? Um, and it's one thing that I mean. I mean, I've argued for this strategy before. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not blameless in this mm-hmm. in this um, <laughs> in this thing. But I think that like we need to actually have a serious discussion about how do we and you know, uncut is like probably one example, but there's others I can think of. Like, how do you turn a flashpoint of activism? Um, how do you try and maintain that 
in an organizational capacity, right? Um, so how do you translate that but also, initial burst of, burst of anger and activism yeah. that accompany like things like cuts to community services yeah. into a kind of um, thing that can provide at least the really basic framework for something bigger? Yeah. Um, even if it doesn't take off then, like some, some sort of framework. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the real challenge like about, and it, it really comes into like how you position yourself and how you position and how you actually communicate with people. Mm-hmm. Right? So, um, which is something we don't really talk about that much because, I mean, I've said this many times, I think the, the far left particularly um, has, a real, has had a real failure to communicate with, with a broader layer of people um, in, a, in a kind of ongoing discussion. Yeah, and to communicate um, as a two-way open process of, yeah. of listening and saying, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think, um, and I think the other, well, I was just going to say, I think the other thing that the way that, the other kind of thing which dovetails this kind of rally strategy stuff is, um, is like we need, to get, we need the unions. Mm-hmm. The unions need to be involved, which in an abstract sense is true, right? I mean, they still hold some vestige of kind of institutional you know, sort of power, I guess, mm-hmm. in that sense. So if they do get involved, it does provide a boost for said campaign. Um, but, I mean, obviously the basis on their involvement is quite important. Um, and it is, I think it assumes two things about unions as well, which mm-hmm. I think anyone um, who's worked for a union who has some sort of critique of their kind of institutional role and... Is a member of a union. ...the role of bureaucracies and that kind of stuff... Mm-hmm. Um, it assumes that unions actually want a grassroots campaign that they don't totally control, mm-hmm. which they don't. Um, um, I've never worked or been part of like I've. I mean, I've worked for a union in a lowly in a lowly call centre capacity, mm. um, but even then, you know, there's no sense that you get that these people actually that the the kind of way the union structure is actually geared towards any kind of democratic. So what happens? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a machine essentially, you know. Um, and also, it also assumes that. Unions will. I think the from the from the people involved in these kind of campaign groups, um, it also. I think they don't really have a concrete strategy of how to grow the movement or haven't thought about it because we don't really think about how can we win, right? Yeah. When when was the last time any of us had a discussion in a campaign group or whatever? At, you're at the start. How can we actually win this thing? Yeah. Right. Let's have a discussion about that because I mean, there's people there who will throw in all sorts of. Ideas. Some of them might be wacky, but some of them mm. might be excellent. Yeah. Um, but we never have those discussions. It's just there's this kind of tried and true formula which doesn't actually work, which we keep applying and to that f- every everything. Feeds back into the re-elect labour, yeah. right? Because we don't seem to have an ability to manifest power. No. Then it seems to be electoralism is the only road which seems to have any power. Well, I think I don't know. I think the rally strategy and stuff like that is a, is an attempt to cut against that but mm. it doesn't work no so we have to do something different that would, would include rallies I think on some mm. level but not just that so um, the other thing about the kind yeah. of we need the unions involved thing is that it also assumes that they have a political strategy of their own yeah. other than electing Labour which they don't mm-hmm. I mean you can see that from their own campaigns amongst their own memberships that they don't have that mm-hmm. like they're I mean I, I, I've been a 12 year member of United Voice um one of the largest unions, left unions in yeah. Queensland. Um, 
you know, and I think just a cursory glance at any of their organising strategies will show you that, that you know they just don't do not organise on a workplace basis. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of their stuff is geared towards um, legislation change, yeah. um, and now I think that's a bit of a shift in like the last ten or fifteen years on on some level, where the the majority of the union's time is spent trying to lobby the government um, and mobilising members to do that, yeah. rather than actually mobilising members in their workplace. And there are some exceptions to that, obviously, yeah, like well, the, last, the construction unions and stuff. Yeah. You know, like it is their bread and butter around health and safety and that kind of They're stuff. They're exceptional, though. But yeah. I think for the majority of other ones, it's you know, and they wonder why they're dying, and it's well, people hate politicians at the moment, and your union is telling you to keep calling these people or emailing them or sign this petition when you know it's not going to do anything. But even during the big together rallies, which weren't just together rallies, like it was workers from building sites that seemed to be the ones where really a whole team, a whole workplace came off and joined the rally, where for most of us in the public service or whatever, it was the scattered people who ideologically identify as union members. Or a two-hour lunch break. Yeah, having a two-hour lunch break, you know. Or a day of leave. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I think that I like other than kind of re-electing Labor and trying to get them to hold to their promises, yeah. which aren't really, don't really, they don't really promise that much anyway, yeah. um, they don't have a political strategy mm. of organising a kind of wide-ranging movement to challenge these kind of policies from the government. Like, they just don't. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that sense, I think that the rally strategy is like a formula, a long-held left formula that's that's doesn't work anymore yeah so we have to dispense with it i think but also getting unions involved the whole we need the unions is also an attempt at a shortcut to building a mass movement yeah because there's this idea that once you sort of crack the bureaucracy there's this amorphous mass of like people who are just champing at the bit to be involved in the movement mm-hmm. right which also is not true mm-hmm. um so it just i mean to me it's it's kind of it reeks of our own failure to like have a strategy, but it reeks of desperation. Yeah. Um, because, you know, there's actually no alternative than to just really go repair it all the way back and start rebuilding the kind of structure that we need mm. um, ourselves. Even just the, the four or five of us, it's really hard work. Um, it's often not very rewarding. Mm. Um, but when it is rewarding, it's amazing, right? Yeah. Um, to me, there's no alternative to that anymore. The notion that we're going to be saved by these these unions that are dying and haven't really won anything for ages yeah. is just false. And, and like, we, if to involve those kind of institutional, that kind of institutional left, I think we have to build our own infrastructure to have them involved somewhat on our terms yeah. to make sure that, you know, a, a struggle that happens isn't, doesn't die. Mm. Um, or if it does die, something can be maintained out of it. Yeah, brilliant. You know. I guess I also think when people say unions, what they're also trying to say is working class and strike. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And the union form, as it currently is, doesn't provide those. It isn't the working class. It's a minority of the working class and doesn't particularly provide industrial action. And we have to work out a way, you know, and I don't know what it'll look like of how the unorganised class organises itself and takes meaningful action. But courting union bureaucrats isn't the method to achieve that. I mean, yeah, I, I agree with that. And I, and, I, and I don't necessarily think there's no, nothing wrong with going to a union bureaucracy and, and asking them to endorse a campaign. Mm-hmm. But the basis on which you do it is important, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you're just going to them cap in hand, they'll either say no, which they yep. mostly do, or they'll say yes, and then they'll probably put 
some some level some political conditions on you, right? Um, what you can say, um, or you you self censor. Um, so, in that sense, I feel like we don't actually have much, we've we've already lost. Mm. We we don't really have anything to lose because we've already lost. Yeah. <laughs> so, let's just start again. Yeah. Doing something different. So, has your thinking changed from your experience in Queensland, Dunkirk? Oh, uh, I mean. Not really. Like I've been organising stuff for a long time, and I guess you know I came through like my initial experience was you know through various socialist groups and that kind of stuff. But I mean, I think if you're a proper organiser and you really want to organise an actual campaign, um, then it's really like there's politics, but then there's organising strategy, right? And I think there's a real art in organising in a way that involves people at their level. But also where you translate your politics into an everyday language, um, and I think that's an art that the left has lost: mm-hmm. um, the ability to a organise people on a kind of um, good basis, like that's not um, the kind of strategies we were talking about before, but it involves them where they are, whether it's at their work or whether it's in where they live or mm-hmm. whatever, um, and making it accessible to those people, but also. Um, trying to translate a radical form of politics that actually can communicate with that as well and not kind of come across as it being a bit wacko, yeah. you know, which a lot of time it does, unfortunately. Yeah. Like, um, or snobbish. Yeah, or dismissive yeah. or whatever, you know. So, I mean, like one example, like yesterday, I mean, I was at the anti-Campbell Newman rally and, you know, there was a fairly eclectic mix of people there, right? Mm-hmm. Um and I was doing, like, a refugee stall and obviously, like, there's a lot of the kind of uh, free speech biker club crew yeah. there, a lot of, you know, which is, you know, I think infused with a lot of nationalism and that yeah. kind of stuff. So um, I made a point of asking them to sign the free refugee yeah. closed manus petition and talk yeah. to them about that kind of stuff just to see what the vibe was. Yeah. And, you know, it, got, it didn't get hostile, but there was obviously some quite people who were like, no, you know, we can't yeah. do this. And I think for a lot of people... That they, would, that they would have been immediately dismissed as a racist, right? Yeah. Um, but, you know, you delve a bit deeper and it's obviously a lot more complicated than mm-hmm. that. You know, it's, oh, they need to fo- people just need to follow the rules, mm-hmm. right? Was the, you know, I think it, by, it goes into that whole sovereignty. Yeah. People need to follow the rules, you know. We need to, like, ma- maintain our sort of mm-hmm. border security. Well, not even border security, just to maintain our sovereignty and borders, blah, blah. Um, so not necessarily a problem with the fact that these people are brown. Yeah. But this kind of rules-based stuff, right? But they're at a rally against the government. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So then and I... And specifically maybe drawn in by particular laws exactly. that they to criminalise them, Exactly, right? right? Yeah. So I was like, well, who do you think sets the rules? Yeah. Oh, politicians do, right? Yeah. All right. And do you agree with the, like, rules? Yeah. And I, no. so, so I was like, so the game is rigged, right? <laughs> He's like, yeah. And I'm like, well, why don't all those people who don't set the rules and who the game is rigged against them join together against people who set the rules, <laughs> right? Um, and it was kind of, I think it's a, a way to put an argument yeah. which he obviously hadn't heard before yeah. and didn't really know what to say. So, and I, mean, I don't necessarily I convinced him that yeah. we should close Manus. But I think it's, it's that kind of like, rather than saying we should free the refugees and obviously we should, right? yeah. yeah. But it's kind of recognising your audience and pitching an argument, the same argument, but in a way that actually reflects 
the way that they think yeah. about things, right? But also willing to have a conversation with people, exactly. right? Rather yeah. than in, encountering differences within the class yeah. and then yelling at people. Yeah, so I think that, you know, that's something that we've lost and it came through an uncut as well, I think, in not necessarily the, the organisers who initially set it up, but just a way of, like, how do we articulate a strategy? How do we articulate a, a form of politics mm. um, that complements the organising that we're doing? Was there much de- was there much debate in Uncut about what the reasons for the cuts were? Like, what were the kind of ideas that were given and Uncut campaigned on trying to explain what was happening? Oh, I mean, a lot of it was this is an ideological agenda by the government, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, which I... I mean, I have some sympathy for, but, um, yeah, I mean, that was the main sort of argument put by a lot of the community sector organisations and people within the meetings. And I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I don't necessarily wholly agree with that. I mean, yeah. I think, you know, um, this is how capital is organising these days. That's so not necessarily an ideological thing, but a, mm. a, a way that capital is now organising. Um, but, you know, though I didn't... Well, that was fine for people to say that. Like, I didn't rail against it or anything. Yeah. Um, so, again, I think it's a way to actually have a plurality... A, plurality of ideas within a movement mm-hmm. and I guess as a kind of someone with radical anti-capitalist politics trying to translate and like have, have, a, have a constructive debate about that rather than cause divisions you know? yeah. um, which I think is quite important mm-hmm. um, which I think is it's you know like how you develop an organising style out of that I guess yeah. Alright, is there anything else that you think from that experience the listeners should hear? Uh, not necessarily. Like, I think... I mean, I guess I could come out of it as being quite bitter. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, I have gone through various bitter stages of yeah. my activist life. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, I, I feel quite positive about things, I think, in the sense that um, I think there's a real dis- dissatisfaction with the realm of politics. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I think we have to kind of find a way of being able to talk about that which intersects with that so like I think one example is so I did political science at university mm. um, quite late like I was a, a mature edge student I was not one of those ones that asked the questions it's okay um, I was the cool one right um, <laughs> um, but no I think like uh, it's a way the, so, so when I say tell people I did political science right to a T everyone like, who's not, I guess, involved in, in sort of radical-type politics. Yeah. Um, well, so, oh, so you're going to be a politician. Yeah. Right? It, to like, my parents. Yeah. Anyone will say that. Um, so the, the conception of politics, mm. the overwhelming conception of politics is that of that of the art of being a politician, right? Yeah. Which I think... The cynical for, art of being a politician. Exactly, which everyone hates. Yeah. So I think um, we have to find a way to, to, go, to change that conception. Yeah. Say well, and, and maybe it's not even calling it politics. I don't even know. Like, I think it's it's a trial and error kind of thing we have mm. to engage in and learn from. Which obviously means that, unlike most of the left organising I've been involved in, actually reassessing strategy and um, talking about why things failed, right? Yeah, and um, underlying analysis that strategy yeah. relies on. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, which is rarely done, mm-hmm. um, if ever. So, I feel like. Um, that's quite important to actually, once you kind of hit upon something that's that's starting to work, you can you can also extrapolate that, right? Mm-hmm. So how do we kind of 
engage on that level in, in, in a way that's actually meaningful and, and changes the conception of politics for people because that is now being contested mm-hmm. or it's, it's open to be contested, um, but we aren't contesting it. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Um, which is a huge problem. Yeah, we've talked on previous shows. You know, in, in some ways, like the, it's finding its, its expression in Palm United Party or you know those kind of you know, yeah. anti-politics formations. Yeah. I mean, you look at the Palm United. I mean, we were approached. The Queensland Cup was constantly approached by Palm United to be on the platform, yeah. right? So they definitely see their role as being sort of defenders of of welfare. Yeah. Which is really interesting. Uh, uh, we, uh, John and I spoke about in the last show. They're more consistently anti-privatisation than the Greens are. Yeah. I mean, look at the ad. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I think we have to find a way to contest it in that sense. And yeah. I mean, I think I've, I've said this a lot of times, but I think just one thing. And again, it comes down to communication. But obviously, it, it matters what you say. But just things like, I mean, how many times have we used it, have we used an app today? Yeah. On your, mo- on your smartphone. Mm-hmm. Majority of people have smartphones, basically. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I probably don't use apps that much, but I'll probably use them at least 20 times a day. Yeah, cool. Totally. Um, name, one, name one leftist app. I can't. That articulates not even an anti-capitalist politics, but even just a general yeah. protest kind of politics yeah. or whatever. There's, so not, the- there's not one, right? Well, there's not a, a kind of a forum-y type journal app or whatever, yeah. like... Um, that's a real problem, right? So Queensland Uncut 2.0 should have an app. <laughs> I think everyone should have an app. Um, I'm going out crazy at the moment. but um, yeah. Because it's, it's actually the relevant technology that makes up exactly. people's lives, yeah. right? This is you know, interwoven in how we exist today. I, mean, I can't remember the last time I bought a newspaper. Yeah. So why would I buy oh, a newspaper September, from... September, I bought one last year. That, yeah. yeah, so why would I buy a newspaper from a store yeah. in the city? Or whatever, like why? Like mm. the conception of that is, I think. Yeah, if you read what is to be done, and you think the takeaway point is do a newspaper, you've totally missed the point of that book, right? Because hmm. it's about what's relevant to the time. Yeah, that was the, it was the technology of the moment. Yeah, not that of two thousand fifteen. So yeah, I think there's things like that, and I think the lessons I you know I think I've taken out of it is just to also be a bit a bit relaxed about the situation, even mm. though it, it was quite hyper for a while there because we were doing a lot of things and there's a big rally, like, you still have to step back and say, well, okay, this could potentially die down quite quickly, mm-hmm. which ended up happening. Mm. How are we going to deal with that? Yeah. And we did try to have those discussions, but it was just kind of blown away by this, um, by constantly having to defend, trying to do that against not having a rally. Yeah. Which um, is pushed with a highly moralistic... Yeah. Kind of politics. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was kind of accusing beings of being a right winger, basically. Yeah. So, does that look to be a bit sharp on that? Because I think, you know, we're LNP are about to win the election. They're going to come out of the election and claim that they've got a mandate for privatisation, right? I imagine that large amount of. There's going to be a wave, a certain wave of demoralisation amongst a lot of people who've looked towards the ALP um, to save them and they've lost the election. That was meant to be the solution. There's going to have to be some struggles. Would you use, review that model of open organising meetings because it means that you have to sit in a room with people from Social Alternative having this argument? It's not even that necessarily. I think it's, it's, it's just inefficient when you have... If a movement's serious and mm-hmm. has a lot of people in it, it's really inefficient. Yeah. So there's no reason why the big decisions for the campaign can't be made in a, a general meeting, yep. which they should be, and mm-hmm. they should be openly discussed and argued out and decided on. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, the nitty-gritty tasks of, you know, doing a leaflet... Organising mm. a venue, 
these kind of things, there's no reason they have to be discussed in a meeting. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the models, I think, which is wrong because most campaign meetings that people would go to now would be dominated by organisational tasks. Yeah. And there's no reason why they have to be there. I mean, yeah. no one's really going to argue about, you know, if, if you put a, if you do up a leaflet and put it on the web, on an email list, there can be a discussion about it. Yeah. You just change it. Yeah. That's fine. There's no, there's no need to have huge arguments about that. Yeah. Um, which is kind of what dominates left organising at the moment. And I think it dominates to the detriment of tackling the real political questions, which should be talked about in the general meetings. Mm-hmm. And then the organisation comes out of that. Um, so where, if, you know, if, if that meeting decides to do a rally, well, let's set up a little subgroup that organises the rally. Um, so all you have to do is say, let's have a rally. Yeah. Everyone agrees that, okay, that, that's the end of that discussion. And then you have a subgroup that goes off and does the goes and does and like, yeah, With some know. kind of relationship of review. Yeah, totally. You know. Far more efficient, far more you know, thorough. Um, you, the, you can have proper political discussion. Yeah. Like because there's only a certain kind of person that can commit to one night a week sitting yeah. under the fluorescent for lights three of, the, hours, of right? the TLC. Yeah. For some hours, three hours. Which is not where people live. No. You know, yeah. you know, so there's no... I think if, you know, ultimately if, if you had a... I think if Queensland Uncut had... Had kept going mm-hmm. on some and had some sort of like and it built up a, a kind of organizational base amongst community sector providers, individuals who are against the cuts, yeah. maybe just some activists and that kind of stuff, like regular people. Um, probably, I reckon, like monthly meetings, yeah, that maybe went for two hours and then people decide on their level of involvement after that. Say, okay, I want to go get involved in the propaganda unit, yeah, you know, because I like design, yeah, I'm going to go use my design skills to. Design posters. It's and, good that you've used the word unit as well. Yeah, and like um, funny anti-Newman things yeah. or whatever, like just stickers and yeah. badges and that kind of stuff, um, mm. and social media type stuff. I mean, you could kind of include that in that. Um, you know, and that's including where, the apps. That's where you might find a programmer. Right? Yeah, who's who's he pretty might be generalized like, skills. Yeah, who might be like, um, I've had some experience making apps, so I probably need yeah. some help. But let's try and do this. Yeah. Um, or you know the the events group. Yeah. Or whatever. Um, which then reports back on a regular basis yeah. to the main meeting. If there's this really bad thing that's happened that everyone disagrees with, obviously that can be changed. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I think it's a far more efficient way of operating, which is far more fits with the way they have how people are communicating and living at the moment mm-hmm. um, than this kind of weekly meeting that goes for a long time um, and mostly discusses the non-political aspects of the campaign. And is often do- do- dominated by sectarian interests. Mm. All right, so January 31st, it's the election. It's the Asia Cup final. <laughs> so when people wake up on, on February the 1st, in the front of their minds start thinking about how are we going to win? I won't be. You won't be. I'll be still be drunk. <laughs> well, uh, in the weeks afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> and that's from the Asia Cup, not from watching the election coverage. Maybe both. A little bit of both. Yeah. All right. Well, um, thanks very much, Rob, for coming in today. If the listeners uh, might be aware that Rob is part of the Hoo-Ha group and is working on a number of different articles which are soon to be published under the um, nom de plume of Anguished Optimist. Uh, I think there's been some really good insights. Uh, I hope everyone's out there is living the dream.